Hey guys, it's Lori here. Just letting you know that this episode is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Learn more at csbible.com. Hello and welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast. This is episode 181, How to Not Give Up. Hello. Yes. Welcome to the Hole in My Heart podcast, where we talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day. I am your host, Lori Krieg, and I have alongside me my favorite licensed therapist and Argyle aficionado. You're not an expert anymore because people were confused. Matt Krieg, welcome, mm-hmm. husband and aficionado. <laughs> Hi. And we do have with us the ever faithful and most professional radio voice among us, producer Steve. But not an aficionado of anything. Are you, though? I mean, I don't know. Maybe Star Wars. Hi, guys. Hi, Steve. We're so (laughs) glad you are here. Guys, we are so excited to share with you today's conversation where we talk with Christine Kane about, well, you guys know how I started my master's program at Wheaton, which met... The Harvard of Christian Universities. (laughs) You guys, here's a little side note about my husband, Matt Krieg is he thinks it's so funny that Wheaton College, where I'm getting my master's, that is known as the quote-unquote, say it again? Harvard of Christian Universities. He says it on cue. Okay, so every time I wear a Wheaton shirt, which is how many times a week, Matt? Seven. (laughs) Okay, I really like my Wheaton drip. I just said Wheaton drip on the Hole in My Heart podcast. Okay, so it's cozy. And I wear it, and Matt, what do you say to me when you see me with the shirt on? Oh, good. I forgot you go there. (laughs) Okay, guys, I love Wheaton so hard. I love it. And Matt knows that, and he knows it's a tender place in my heart. And so with, like, patting me on the head in a very nice way, and then a little arm squeeze, he says, oh, wow, I forgot you went there. Is that the... Harvard of Christian Universities. (laughs) So whatever, I'm going there, getting my master's, and the person we are interviewing today is Christine Kane. She is the senior, basically. They are graduating uh, very soon, and I'm like the freshman there uh, getting getting the master's. There's not freshmen and seniors, but whatever. She's on her way out. I'm on my way in. Got to connect with her and, and Voskamp, and we, we chat a little bit about that, as well as, Matt, have you been seeing discouragement around your clients, et cetera? Uh, I think, et cetera. Yeah, everywhere, basically. Including our own home. Mm-hmm. We've been feeling some discouragement when it comes to doing this Jesus thing. And if you guys have been, this conversation that we are about to share with you, uh, I really pray it doesn't just give you a rah, 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 but this uh, ministers to your heart. If you are wrestling, um, like maybe every Christian has wrestled with in the last year and a half or so, with do I want to keep doing this thing? Guys, I am so excited to welcome to the show today my new friend, Christine Kane. Chris, welcome. Hey, Laurie, I'm so pumped to be on this show with you. Man, you guys, before I read like her like whole bio, how we met, how did we meet, Chris? We, we met, oh, well, on the track on the way to the back row of a class <laughs> at Wheaton College. Yeah, we were the back row I want to say back row babes. We'll just go ahead and say that. You and me and Ann Voskamp were sitting in the back. We were still listening, but we were also the bad kids in the back. So we were having fun. You and I were very well behaved. It was Ann Voskamp that led us down a straight path. She sure did. We, I think, and there's the sound bite of the episode. Okay, guys, Christine Kane, she really needs no introduction, uh, but she is an Australian-born, Greek-blooded lover of Jesus, a sought-after international speaker, author, and activist, and bad kid in the back with me in AVK. Known for her ability to effectively communicate a message of hope, Christine has a heart for reaching the lost, strengthening leadership, which she does, not just in her bio. She was like strengthening me. I felt all sort of exhorted while we were just chatting, both in the back and at other times, and championing the cause of justice. Together, with her husband, Nick, she founded the anti-human trafficking organization, the A21 Campaign. She's a recipient of the Mother Teresa Memorial Award, amazing, for their work combating human, human trafficking among refugees. They also founded Propel Women, of which I am a part with Wheaton uh, College. We're both getting our master's there, if that wasn't clear in our bad kids in the back little bit. 
Uh, an organization designed to celebrate every woman's passion, purpose, and potential. Christine and Nick made their home in Southern California with their daughters, Catherine and Sophia. She's also the author of many amazing books, including the one she wrote most recently that I whizzed through last week. It was like a quick, amazing, encouraging read. How did I get here finding your way back to God when everything is pulling you away? Can't wait to talk with you about this. So you ready to dive in? always born ready awesome all right so guys if you've been listening to this podcast for any number of episodes you know that we ask every guest this question because the purpose of our podcast is to talk about how the gospel is good news for everyone every day so here's the first question for you christine if the gospel is i am more loved than i imagine and yet more sinful than i believe when was that gospel first good news for you and how is it still I love that. I love that question. And, you know, for me, um, Laurie, I, I came from a background. I was born in Sydney, Australia. That's the accent. This is how the Queen wishes that she could speak English. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm Greek Australian. But, you know, when I was 33, I found out that I had been left in a hospital in Sydney. I was unnamed. Um, you know, so I, I grew up. Um, in a home where I thought my parents were my biological parents, but didn't find out until I was 33 that they were not my biological parents and that there was three siblings and each of us came from a different set of parents growing up thinking we were all from the same parents. Um, so that just to give you kind of like that was a home. My parents were were great people, but back in those days, things were very different. They were Greek um, there was a lot of shame involved with not uh, being able to conceive and to adopt. And then obviously my biological mother being a Greek woman, that's all I really know about her, that she was a single Greek woman. Um, to con in, back in 1966, to be pregnant and not married, um, you know, was a great shame. So there was shame associated, obviously, right from my conception to my mm. birth, being left in a hospital unnamed my family then adopting us but never telling us you know for a multitude of reasons and back then in Australia all adoptions were closed adoptions and I think part of the advice was don't tell your kids because you know it's going to mess them up so things have changed a lot nowadays but you know my parents I guess probably did the best that they knew to do during that time but in all of that although my my nuclear family um they were great people. They allowed a lot of people into our home that they should have been able to trust and were not trustworthy at all. And so I was also the victim of sexual abuse for about 12 years from mm. four different um, men that, you know, were very close to our family. Mm. And back then, you know, I, this was um, 19 in the 70s and 80s. There was uh, certainly not where I came from. Nobody talked about abuse. It was not like it is today. There was almost nowhere to say what was happening, let alone to process or even understand what was happening. It, that was, didn't come till a lot later. So as you could imagine, I mean, just there's a little nutshell, you know, there's abandonment, there's adoption, there's abuse, there's rejection. With that comes all the shame and the guilt and the condemnation, a lot of anger, mm. a lot of bitterness, um, a lot of very low self-esteem mixed in with the fact that we were Greek immigrants um, in a time in Australia where we were really looked down upon, particularly Greek and Australian, uh, Greek and Italian immigrants during mm. that time. So very marginalised because of my ethnicity in a very strict uh, Greek Orthodox culture where women were in no way encouraged to do anything. It was just, you know, except for get married, have kids, and that's about it. So throw all of that into a pot and uh, you had a very, very... <laughs> Um, confused, angry, broken young woman, so confused about so many things, my gender identity, my uh, just my life, who I was. Mm. Externally, I looked uh, very sort of accomplished at school. What, what I did was I put a lot of that confusion and brokenness into achievement. Mm. And so I really, you know, excelled in sport, really excelled academically, because that's where I found my value, my significance, my security, and in many ways, my identity, because um, there was so much other stuff going on in my life. Then um, somewhere around, there was kind of a process, there was not one major incident, but it was a whole series of incidents where I met different people on my path that um, introduced me 
to Jesus. Now, I grew up in a Greek Orthodox culture, but that meant going to church every Sunday for three hours, listening to a Greek Orthodox liturgy in ancient Greek, which nobody spoke. So I didn't understand any of it. it God to me was very aloof, very distant. Um, you know, m what I heard more than anything else was, Christina, if you do this, God will punish you. If you do this, God, very much this sort of very mean, vindictive God. Mm -hmm. And of course, I was full of so much shame and guilt and brokenness that I thought, how could a holy God like someone like me? Because I am obviously so fundamentally flawed and broken. Right. And not only were there the things that were done to me, but as a result of that and just my own sinful nature, um, I made so many wrong choices. And, and so... At about 21, I had a um, a real, what I would call a true encounter with Jesus. Um, and I was living a life that was very, very far from God. And this is the best way that I can word it. I was on a balcony on my 21st birthday in um, Zurich in Switzerland. Mm -hmm. So I'd heard and had different interactions at school with um, different people that had explained different aspects of the gospel for me. But when it sort of all came together, I was still a mess. I, I want to say that up front. I was a mess. I had many patterns <laughs> of destructive behavior. I was in a relationship that was so far from the purpose of God and the will of God for my life and very broken, but it was on that balcony in Zurich, Switzerland, that I had a moment, if I was going to say a moment, mm. where I did f feel, for want of a better phrase, this incredible, unconditional love of God. It was like all the things that people had told me came together that in my most sinful state, I do want to say that because mm. I was I was in a mess, a mess yep. of a relationship and a mess of a lifestyle. Right. But I had this, I don't know how else to word it, a supernatural awareness that I was truly loved and forgiven by God. Mm. I don't know how to explain this to you, right. but it's not that my circumstances changed in that moment at all. But in that moment, I remember, con consciously remember saying to God, I will go back to Australia and I will, you know, back then it was like, okay, I'm going to follow you, which means I'm going to stop the sex, drugs and rock and roll. You know, I'm going <laughs> to like, just sort of like I'm going to stop the three big things that I'm doing right. that I thought were the, the things that were separating me from God. And I'm going to, you know, I, I was Greek Orthodox, so my whole concept of how you would serve God, I had no Protestant understanding of that. It was like you were going to be Mother Teresa. So I was going to be working, you know, um, with the poor and the marginalised. I mean, that was just nuns were your only idea as a woman of what you would do to serve God. So I came back to Australia. I started serving in a ministry called Jesus Cares, and that was like um, distributing food and clothing and whatever was needed in kind of the red light district of Sydney, and then finishing my university degree. And over that time, um, I met a whole lot of other people that then invited me to church and helped me go into a discipleship program um, that really began to transform me from the inside out. But it was it was that balcony where there was this overwhelming sense of, however, the good news to me was that even though so many things had been done to me um, and so many things I had done myself right. that had caused me a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of grief, mm. but I think in that moment I understood that what Jesus Christ did for me at Calvary was greater than what anyone else had ever done to me mm. here on earth. And that was the beginning of me being able to perhaps see a future for my life that was not totally dictated by my past. And right. that probably in that moment, I understood that my history did not need to define my destiny, although I didn't know at that time what that might look like. But there was this internal sense of perhaps, for want of a better phrase, a future hope. And I probably had never, ever had real hope in my life. Hmm. Oh, I love it. So uh, if you were to say um, how that same gospel, so that's like you talked about the moment and you're talking about how the gospel is good news for you then, how is it still good news for you today? 
I think for me, it, it's still today, well, especially right now, we're recording this in the midst of a global pandemic and so much pain and suffering and loss and grief in the world. And the work that I do with the survivors of human trafficking um, and, you know, and victims and vulnerable people that are um, involved in that, it, it's still that sense of a future hope, mm -hmm. something that gives me hope that beyond the pain and the suffering and the grief and the injustice and the evil on the earth today, that there is something bigger than us and there is goodness and there is hope and there is true love. Um, and I think that really comes back to there is an absolute truth and his name is Jesus. And because I have that rock solid foundation to come back to, that makes everything in the present um, something that... I don't have to get stuck in any present moment because I have this enduring future hope, if that makes sense. Total sense. Okay, so here you go, killing it. I mean, look, if I was like looking through all your books, I'm like, holy cow, she's been amazing. Like, I, honestly, it's only been recent since like our friendship that I've been like really invested in all you've been doing in the last year or so as I've been following Propel, which is amazing. Everyone should go and subscribe. You're like, your daily emails, uh, you didn't ask me to say this, or the weekly ones are actually super encouraging. So everyone should go do that, Propel Women. Okay, but you have this book that I'm holding right here. How did I get here? So you do all these, slay all day. You, you know, get this new identity in Jesus Christ, find your way back to God when everything is pulling you away. How did you get there, Chris, into this place of writing this book? You know, it was, um, I think what had happened is uh, about five years ago, um, I had celebrated my 50th birthday, so I'm in the, you know, that kind of coming mm. in your halfway point in life. Was having a whole lot of fun on a boat with a whole lot of friends of mine celebrating. Came home that night and there were 26 missed calls on my phone from my brother back in Australia to say that my mum had died that, that same night while we're out celebrating. It's, it's, it's so life, isn't it? Best of times, worst of times, mm. all at the same time. Like yeah. it's just life. Um, at you know, in a three-month period, my my brother's sister, who was my age, she died. One of my husband's sisters died, and one of my husband's um, brother-in-laws died. So it was a lot of back and forth funerals. So you, you've, you're in you're in your fifties. All this is happening. So you're pro I'm processing all of this stuff. On top of that, I think because it was my mother, it triggered maybe another layer of healing that God wanted to do in my life, but mm. just brought up some stuff with my biological mother. You know, I, I think totally. all things that I've worked on for years, but there's always deeper layers. There's always another layer. So I think that happened. At the same time, um, I was betrayed by a, a, a close friend. You know, I often think David wrote in the Psalms, he said, it would have been easy if it was my enemy that was against me. But when it was my friend that I went to the house of God with, like it's just another layer of, right. of pain and, and, and betrayal. Um, so there was processing that. And, you know, I don't know if you guys remember 2016, towards the end of 2016, coming into 2017, while all this is going on in my life, it was quite a volatile time here in America. Um, you know, maybe unless you were hiding under a rock, there was a lot of things going on. If you've got, if you had any kind of public profile, um, you couldn't win. I mean, you woke up and one morning, you know, one, you knew it was the choice was, who am I going to disappoint today? Right. Because whatever you did, one third of the people are like, you shouldn't have said anything. The other third are, you said too much. The other third are, you, you know, like, so you were just kind of going, you just didn't, you felt very paralyzed, um, even in as a leader, as a person, suddenly you had to be a, a world expert on everything, whether mm. it was immigration policy or some other policy, and you're like, right. I'm just trying to get through today. Um, so while I'm trying to process all of this internal stuff and, and pain, you know, a whole lot of other stuff is going on. And I just remember one day um, saying to my husband, you know, I he was watching this this um, Netflix series on the Hell Week for the Navy SEALs and how the whole goal of Hell Week is to try to make you quit, you know, and you got to ring the bell and just you you knock they break you down mentally and emotionally and physically and psychologically the whole sort of thing. And there was this one scene, guys, where they dropped the guys out of the helicopter into the water and they had to swim like five miles to shore and then do this operation. They hadn't eaten all week or slept, you know, the whole kind of thing. And I remember I was crying and my husband thought, like, this is not normal. Like, you're crying at a bunch of guys dropped out of a helicopter, you know. And um, I, I said to him, I said, I think this is how I feel. 
well, this is a metaphor for how I feel spiritually. Yeah. Um, it's like, you know, I've always said we're the Navy SEALs of the church. We're on the front lines. We're rescuing slaves. We're empowering women. You know, we're like, this is what we yeah. do. But it was like um, in that moment, I said, I feel like I've been dropped out of the helicopter. I'm in the water. I know I can do this. I know I got the muscle memory. I've got the training. I know I can do this. I said, but for the first time in over 30 years of following Jesus, I, I don't know if I want to. Right. And those words had never come out of my mouth. Like it was, you know, I've, I've many times I've gone, I don't know if I can do this. You know, like I, I don't know if I'm good enough or talented enough or whatever, but never have I thought, I don't know if I want to, because I really knew the price of going forward. So sometimes when you're young and dumb, the benefit is you don't understand what you're saying yes to. Right. But I said to Nick, if I take my foot off the gas a bit, no one's really going to know. I got so much momentum from over 30 years and, you know, what we're doing everywhere. If I don't do anything really stupid, then nobody is really going to know that I took my foot off the gas. Um, and then as I was crying, and I, but then I turned to him and I said, but Jesus would know. Mm-hmm. Jesus would know that I didn't press on. You know, Paul says this one thing I do, I press on to lay a hold of all of that for which Christ Jesus laid a hold of me. I said, Jesus would know that I coasted my way into eternity. I didn't press on and keep running my race, keep fighting the good fight of faith. Um, I might have looked like it externally, uh, but internally and before the Lord, we would have known that I didn't, I didn't press in to the end and um it was and that was when i turned to nick and i went how did i get here you know at, at the same time um there had begun to be which now they're like every other day but there had begun to be um a few prominent um people that were jesus followers that were publicly deconstructing their faith and posting certain things and just you know so there was this sort of thing happening where people were walking away or this is just too hard or this is you know a whole lot of stuff and i thought mine wasn't that kind of thing i was not but it was mine was more do i want to have all my skin in the game like i have for 30 years or the price it's a high price to yeah. keep giving to to daily at this age and stage continue to take up your cross deny yourself and follow jesus mm-hmm. and i could have that if if i had said no then without doing any big public sin or anything i still would have um compromise my faith i still would have you know it didn't, i didn't need to publicly deconstruct and walk away but to a sense i wouldn't have been pushing on to the end um i wouldn't have been denying myself taking up my cross following jesus so that my that moment for me was are you going to again deny yourself take up your cross and follow jesus and you know i thought i'd I thought I had done some serious denying myself, taking up my cross in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s. And here I was again in my 50s. It's like you don't ever graduate from denying yourself, taking up your cross and following Jesus. Darn it. Hey, Matt, have you noticed? I've been using a different Bible lately. I have. Is it a CSB? Yes, it's a Christian standard Bible. It's the She Reads Truth one. Are you telling me that you don't just talk about the CSB on ads like this, but you actually read it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I do actually read it. I'm reading the She Reads Truth one every day now for a bunch of reasons. But the biggest one is I love the margins. I love writing the date and some prayers and real life stuff in it. Do you write about me in there? Um, yes. Like, thank you, Jesus, for how awesome my husband is dated every day of my life. Um, no. (laughs) Okay, seriously, guys listening, I am loving not only the margins where I can write only gratitude to the Lord for my awesome husband, Matt, but I love that it was edited by women and the devotionals in it are actually uplifting and not fluffy or patronizing. And the timelines, each book of the Bible has this timeline that helps me to understand what's happening in this book in relationship to the rest of the canon of the Bible. Okay, fine. That's fine. (laughs) Even if you write real stuff about me in it. 
Okay, well, you can get one too and write real life prayers about me in it. You know your girl needs them. Yeah, well, I need them too. <laughs> so where can I get this Bible or another Bible like it? Well, you can find the She Reads Truth Bible or any of the CSB versions by hitting up csbible.com. This was five years ago for you that you had this this real wrestling with, okay, do I press on or do I coast a little bit? And, and I think in, in my experience talking with people, there's a lot of this kind of discouragement, I guess is the best word that I can use for it, where, where people just want to give up, whether it's on their marriage, whether it's on their faith, whether it's on, you know, their, their schooling, their goals, whatever. Like there's just so much of this like, wanting to just press the, the tap out button and, and I'm, I just want to be done. Is there anything that you can point to aside from like pandemic that, that you feel like contributed to just that, the level of discouragement that we're experiencing both in our faith and relationships, you know, and life right now? Yeah, Matt, I think you, you're speaking about something that's so real. It doesn't matter where I go without exception that's what I'm hearing everywhere. And yeah. um, people that are seasoned believers that have been following Jesus for a long time to new believers, you know, um, that whole concept of like tapping out, I, I feel almost, and it, that was a two year process for me. Like it wasn't an over, I didn't get there overnight. Um, it was a two year of like, this was a long dark night of the soul for me, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like all over again. And I, I could point to others throughout my life, but that was that deep and that dark. Um, it was a good couple of years. I think the Lord allowed me to go through that to prepare me for now, for what, like, as, by the time 2020 hit and the pandemic, I was like, oh, I'm good now. I'm, I'm like, you know, like I've walked no. through. I think this is why when Laurie goes, you know, you really encourage me and everyone's like, gee, you're encouraging us, right? I'm thinking, yes, because I had to go through this a couple of years before everybody else. Praise the Lord. I, I feel like that's it. And I feel like no one is getting a pass. None of us are getting a pass on this. Um, and, you know, there is, of course, I, I, I cannot not say, and it's not just because I'm Pentecostal, that we are in a spiritual fight. Yeah. And I think uh, the body of Christ is waking up again, that we are, you know, that what the scripture says, we do not fight against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. You would have to be in denial to... Uh, omit to acknowledge that there is something spiritual going on because the fact that it's hitting everyone all over the earth in different ways, but everyone is feeling the pressure and no one can quite put their finger on it. Even if we want to blame stuff, by the time you get to the end of the blaming, you still at the end of the day go, I really can't explain it. Like I really can't explain it. And that to me is the demonic dark side. The enemy (laughs) wants us to quit. I mean, that's the whole thing is, you know, he's like, if he wants us to quit, he wants us not to, to be faithful to Jesus until the end. Scripture tells us about that. There are warnings about that. Um, it's easy to read Thessalonians or Revelations or Peter, you know, and just kind of not really be able to connect with it, except I think now we're all reading it and going, oh, this is some of what you, I don't think this is the great tribulation, but I definitely believe it's a tribulation. <laughs> it is a tribulation of sorts. So I think we're all feeling that. Yep. On top of that, I think that all our motives are being purified, that we're discovering if we were in this for anything other than Jesus and fidelity to Christ and obedience to Christ and following Jesus. I think a very simple example is, uh, you know, we're recording this today. I have been training for the last year, climbing all the mountains in Southern California during the pandemic, uh, building up my muscle and strength and had a trainer and have done, I've, I've climbed tens of thousands of feet over the last year training for what was going to be next Tuesday, climbing Mount Whitney, which is the um, the highest mountain in the contiguous USA. And um, I had done all my training, all prepped, ready to go. And yesterday, they shut down all of the national parks in California, rightly so, because there are so many fires. And so all of our firemen and, you know, the um, emergency services are just 
exhausted and and stretched to the max so they they don't need hikers out on mountains right now in the mm-hmm. middle of all these fires so that makes a lot of sense but what it means is i don't know if i'm going to get to climb it because you have to go back into a lottery and oh, no. i don't know if i'm ever going to have the time i've just had to be able to train at the degree i've trained i'm also 55 I don't, am i going to have this fitness or motivation all the things that come to it so you get to this point and go i've been training and i think for a lot of people um there was this mountain whatever it might be this achievement this thing goal that they were working for and then you know 18 months ago it was just shut down like literally overnight i remember getting on the plane in australia um i had just i'd done passion you know sixty-five thousand people in the stadium in the mercedes benz i'd gone to brazil um in um major stadiums i'd spoken there gone to australia major state this was going to be the year of revival stadiums booked all around the, the world i got on a plane from australia in march landed in um california and you know 14 hours later and thus ended my global um stadium tour uh-huh. <laughs> because um there goes covid well that you know i mean I, I say that and i'm laughing but for a lot of people that's what happened this yeah. that was they had so many expectations so many dreams so many hopes and then a force outside of themselves just stopped it shut everything down and you're powerless to change it. None of us, you know, none of us have got the power to change COVID or to uh, change government restrictions or, what, you know, whatever the things are. And so you approach it one of two ways. Like I can't do the mountain. So I either now go into a pit of despair and go, I just wasted this last year. I, you know, I can get frustrated at God. I can get frustrated at all the work that I did that just seems like a waste. Or I can reframe it and go, what an opportunity. I would never have climbed those other 10 mountains. I would never have seen what I saw. I would never have built the uh, the muscle that I've built. And I may never climb Mount Whitney you know, this, and that's okay. Like I might've thought that was what I was going to do. That doesn't make me less. It doesn't make, it doesn't devalue the last year in my life. I think what a lot of people are are facing is they were thinking, I will find my value or my significance or my security when I do this thing that I've been working towards or fulfill that dream or somehow we equated that God was going to be in it if we achieve that. And and maybe we've missed the fact that God's with us always. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I wrote today on my Instagram, I said, you know, if you're in Christ, you've already reached the summit because I'm already seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and I have access to every spiritual blessing that's mine in him. Um, And so I can't actually get any higher. I am as high as I'm ever going to be. I'm just not there yet, but I'm I'm, I'm there, just not yet. Um, So in a lot of ways, the process is um, what is important. It's not like, you know, it's one thing to say it where we go, you know, it's not the achievement or it's not when you get there that matters the process matters and who you're becoming mm-hmm. in the process and finding Christ in the process and your significance and your security and your identity. Well, the fact is we've all in this last year had the opportunity to do that, but the lens through which we viewed this last year has determined whether we're actually stronger now or not as strong. Um, and then we have to ask ourselves the hard questions. So because our circumstances change, if God doesn't change, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever, then me and him has actually never changed. So I, I either look at this and go, what are you trying to teach me in this season? How can I be, in, be being conformed and transformed more to the image of Jesus? And I focus more on that rather than what I perceive that I've lost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the things that I've lost that I might have had so much of my identity wrapped up in that. If if I've now wanting to tap out because God didn't give me what I thought I wanted, then maybe that was actually the issue. Oh, snap. Okay. Can you <laughs> slow down for us? Okay. The the process and and so maybe it's in the Mount Whitney one or maybe it's one where you were rejected you know by the friend that might be too too significant but the process of going from oh this hurts oh I'm mad and because it's I I don't want people to misunderstand what you're saying that it's like oh just and now I'm good 
and now I'm rooted in Christ. What's the like lament, like what's that moment where you look down and then you sink into your roots? Like, can you slow that down for a hot second? Because I think yeah, people I need think to hear that. Because I don't want it. That's why I wanted to make the point of saying it was a, a two year dark night yep. of the soul. And what really was the hardest part for me was the friend part. Yep. Um, and, and I would say, because I went there into that really dark place, I, uh, what now for me are smaller disappointments, like the Mount Whitney one, um, I'm able to almost, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Because, but, but there are things to everyone that matters. So I don't want anyone to go, I'm not like Christine, because, you know, I'm not like me tomorrow either. I'm going to be so, so <laughs> don't, that's not the deal, is we all have different things that can spiral us into different pits of despair right. and disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, um, depression, whatever it might be. So for me, the friend thing, um, even more than my mother, mm -hmm. is what actually made me, I didn't know if I would come out of that pit. That's what was so hard about those two years was I, I if I didn't have the Psalms um, and I don't know what I would have done because that I, I couldn't even pray. It was, and I don't know, it's still even to this day. And I went to a, um, a family of origin counsellor for a year in that time because I was trying to make sense of why can I not pull myself out of this pit? I've got so many tools. I've, I've done, I just could not pull myself out no matter what I tried to do. Right. Um, and I was, my husband would tell you, he would be the one that, you know, saw the very, very dark side. And I had two other friends. So Nick and two other friends, thank God, mm. that were like a life support to me. Mm. I mean, literally like IV drips that kept me when I couldn't even go to Jesus myself. The best way I can word it is, you know, like the paralyzed man that, that the four friends carried, <laughs> dug a hole in the roof and dropped him at the feet of Jesus. I'd say for two years, Nick and these two friends did that for me. Wow. Um, 100% did that for me because I didn't think I would come out of this dark place. I, it, It's so... I, I, it ruptured a place in my soul realm that that now I I can see that God has healed in many many ways, but even when I was in it in my head theologically I would say out loud I know that God can bring and will bring good out of this because I've seen Him do it, but I couldn't get past. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to help someone or actually make you feel more confused. But I was like, I felt like collateral damage. Mm. And what I couldn't get over is why would God at this point allow me to be collateral damage in this situation that would cut me so deeply? Yeah. Um, and I didn't think when I was in the pit of that darkness, I didn't think it was worth it. So I think I might have in that time harbored a bit of an offense toward God of like um, nothing that you're going to do that's good on the other side of this could be worth this pain mm -hmm. and this darkness and this cost. Mm -hmm. um, and it was wrestling through that very two-year dark night of the soul mm -hmm. um, to find the peace of God in it. I had to learn to trust him even when I couldn't trace him in that and couldn't understand why he let that happen, um, especially in an area that was so sensitive to me, just with so much relational dysfunction in my past, so much relational brokenness. Yeah. I felt like I'd done a lot of work for three decades right. um, to, to really um, find healing and wholeness. That was, but there was, but now, and this is the hope I hope I give to someone. It doesn't, deny the pain of any of that because I didn't I, I need you to know in my own flesh I didn't think I was going to make it mm. but my friends carried me my husband um, carried me and I just did what I could which wasn't much but it was like the psalms I probably had five psalms that I just that was about all I could do like yeah. I like and and I would just and and I, I mean, I, I, 
I was like back in at sometimes like in a fetal position, just crying. Um, and I think in that, I actually think in that the Lord did a lot of healing, even back from when I was um, a child, which I have done a lot of work with God in the last three decades. But it shows me that um, trauma and pain is so deeply embedded that if you're up for it um, and you allow the Holy Spirit to continue to do his work, he will continue to do it. It's not pretty. I mean, what some of the things I said were not pretty. Many of the things I prayed were not pretty. Um, but I, I knew I had nowhere else to go. So I can say that. I can say that I've been back in the pit. This isn't yeah. like something just 30 years ago. This is like just a couple of years ago. Right. And I could say, you know, like the psalmist, or, or you know, where where would I go? Or like, where, where would I go? I, I, I go to hell, you're there. I go here, you're there. Like, it's just, I, I think I've come back out going, I ain't got much for you, but he's real. Like, I'm telling you that again. He's real and mm. he's worthy mm. and I'm stronger. And I I somehow am even more stable. Um, and it's not because of me. I don't have like this supernatural faith. It's not because I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Um, <laughs> it's because I've wrestled in the pit of darkness with the Lord and have, have done that you know, for three decades. Thank you for sharing that. That was, that ministered to my soul and I, I know it ministered to others. You mentioned your husband, Nick, and, and two, um, two other friends that really carried you, that they were like the people pounding through the roof to, to kind of bring you to Jesus. Were there specific ways that, that you felt them do that or, or that you felt like they, I, I guess, brought you? Yeah, I think um, obviously one powerful way was just the ministry of presence. There was one of those friends was able to, um, you know, come and be with me and and be with me in the mess. Like um, she she didn't need to be with Christine Kane, the preacher, or you know, just just me. The the she kept reminding me basically that I'm just. Uh, uh, the loved daughter of the king that you know that that and and that was a very safe place and i think she's very maternal and probably that was a lot to do with it uh, she's very very maternal and um nick's it, you know i knew i picked a good one i just didn't know how good he was until <laughs> three decades later you know um he has always loved me so i always say that god more than any other human, God has used Nick Kane to love me to wholeness um, mm -hmm. in many ways. And he in this season, who saw me like nobody else, um, he just was so unbelievably patient and never forced me to be sanitized or never for never you know, if anyone was going to throw the, hey, you're supposed to be the woman of God preacher person, you know, like if anyone was going to throw that, he could have um, done that. But there was none of that. There was just, um, and he didn't give me any sort of quick answers, which at times really frustrated me. That probably caused most of our arguments is because I would have liked um, a better answer, but he, he wouldn't give me just a cookie cutter um, it would be just so, a lot of it like, I'm so sorry, there's nothing really I can say. And I sort of wanted him to rescue me. And, you know, he just, he he gave me to Jesus while he still held me and did what he could. I, I don't know how to explain that, but it was, um, he didn't ever try to be God and he didn't try to rescue God, which frustrated me because he could have made God seem a lot nicer during that time. And <laughs> um, he didn't in, in, in terms of, any sort of theological plithy statements or anything. Um, but his rock solid belief that God is good, that God does good, and that God will work all things together for our good and for his glory. Um, that unwavering belief in our darkest moments when I would just say everything but that, when I felt the most like collateral damage or I felt like this is not fair, Nick's unwavering belief in the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, um, kept me. Uh, that's because he he didn't waver in that, and he never tried to be God and rescue me. Mm. 
Don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does make sense. So just to, to make it clear for people who are listening, like this is, you know, whatever. Okay, so let's, let's say that, okay, the Christine Kane preacher person. You guys, this Christine Kane preacher person who's saying, like, okay, here, I'll ask you. Was it necessary for you to go through this dark night of the soul to be where you're at today? Absolutely. So you needed to do that. And you needed to do the heart work and you needed to do the slow journey of the heart. There's no, there is no easy way, but uh, there never has been, not in the whole three and a half decades. This has been a fight of faith for me, mm-hmm. my entire 35 years of following Jesus. Uh, I get up every day to fight the good fight of faith. There's a lot of fights we're having <laughs> that are very unnecessary right now. Facts. But there is a good fight, and that's the fight for faith. And that a lot of people are fighting about faith, right. uh, you know, out there publicly. That is very different to fighting the fight of faith that is far more an internal things. And that faith that I am going to hang on to the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, when everything feels like it's not good and he's not being faithful. That to me is the fight of faith. Okay. Again, I feel like this is just right for my soul right now. So thank you. Uh, But I know other people are (laughs) receiving. Okay. Chris, I had at least three or four conversations this week. I bet you had the same amount, if not more. Matt, you probably had how many clients you have? You have probably 32 conversations this week of people, if they're believers, are telling me, all the time they're standing at a crossroads of do i want to do this anymore can you speak to them about why following jesus is still worth it that's and that is the question on the table um it's worth it because he's worthy and that's where i came to you know it was like he is worthy of my all and we're going to face these moments you know in john 666, I I just always remember that, not because I'm deeply theological, but because it's like the 666. But it says after Jesus did this discourse, you know, you're going to have to, you know, eat my flesh and drink of my blood. And it's like this really intense, this following me, he's done all these miracles and all the crowds are following and it's all awesome because, you know, he's performing. Then he throws in this discourse about, well, going to cost you everything you know and they're like like what you mean i have to be accountable like what is going on i've got to uh be all in eat flesh drink blood lay down my life and the bible says in john 6 66 and that day many turned away and stopped following him so before there was an unfollow button on twitter jesus was unfollowed you know we unfollowing is not like a, a a new thing and and they were people that were following him like we are people that are following the people that are at the moment standing at the crossroads are not people that don't know Jesus. <laughs> They're right. not the ones going, ah, should I or should, no, no. It's us that are Jesus followers. And all of a sudden the stakes just went up. And that's not unusual in the gospels, in scripture. It's like, we, we have some times we're around Jesus and there's miracles happening and, you know, our needs are being met and we're feeling great. We're loving the sermons. We might not even understand them, but we feel good. And then hmm. Jesus goes, now, here we go again. Uh, are you ready to die at another level? Are you ready to die daily? Take up your cross, follow me. And now we are at this moment going, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. And I think that's actually a good place to do because it means that you're dead serious, that you've suddenly realized this is not a cultural Christianity thing anymore. To follow Jesus costs. You got to crucify your flesh. You got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. Welcome to what is called the normal Christian life. It's just that we've gotten so far away from the normal Christian life that sometimes we need these come to Jesus moments, me included, and we all go, do I, same as me, um, I don't know if I want to. That was my phrase. I don't know if I want to. And Jesus says, how about we spend the next two years finding out if you do want to? Mm-hmm. And that's it. And what what I can't give someone a quick fix. I wish I could. The the answer I can give you though is that he is worthy. But you're gonna have to fight the fight of faith and wrestle this in your soul realm yourself 
I can't take up your cross for you. I can't, um, you know, I, I, can't, I, I can't deny yourself for you. You have to. And it's a day, we have to die daily. I think I'm understanding more and more of what the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. And so in a culture that is antithetical to dying daily, the Christian gospel has never changed. It's, and so people go, why would you do that? Well, because he's worthy. And I, I don't know what else you got going for you that's better. So maybe you might have some flesh gratification for a while or self-gratification for a while, but just play that out. It's not going to ultimately, in light of eternity, be better. So I'm like sitting here going, painful, yes, costly, absolutely, worth it, 100%. Hmm. Well, thank you for, for talking. I'm pretty sure we could probably go for another couple hours if you let us. Um, I love but, it. But you've got other meetings, I'm sure, and we've got some kids to get back to. Yeah, but before we close, how, how can we find this book? How did I get here if Lori can hold it up again? Um, and then any of your other works. How can we, how can we find all of the stuff that Christine Kane has to offer? You're awesome. I, I think you can, thank you for that. You can um, get the book anywhere books are sold. And if you just go to christinecain.com, you can find all the things. And um, I'd love to come back and chat some more. You guys are awesome because Aww. this this is the stuff that'll save people's lives. Like it's, um, I don't want anyone to think it's not worth it, but I think we, we'd sell them short. So if people go, well, why should I do that? Well, this is not like an option of which one is going to make you happier. It's which one is going to uh, ultimately make you more the most fulfilled and um i wake up every day even after what i've just been through and think i'm i'm on track with purpose Mm. um nothing beats that no amount of temporal gratification Mm. can actually come anywhere near um finding satisfaction in your eternal purpose and knowing who you are in christ and fulfilling that and even knowing that on the other side of all this there's a reward that's waiting and that for me is worth the price paid this side. Just to restate, because I need, I just need to take this nugget with me, honestly, for tomorrow. So every single day, Chris, you wake up and you're like, you are choosing to fight the good fight of, fight of faith. Every day you're waking up at zero or at 2%, and you're like, I'm choosing to immerse myself. You're choosing faith every day. Every day. I, I don't know how you could not. And I think if you if you're sort of like just running on adrenaline or running mm-hmm. on you get you're going to fall flat somewhere. When you're acutely aware that you're in a spiritual battle, that there is good and there is evil, and there is an enemy of our soul fighting for our soul, he does not let up any day. Just because we may or may not be aware of it doesn't mean that it's not happening. Um, and so every day, there's uh, Ephesians six doesn't say put on the full armor of God once a week. It's like every day. I think that's what we forget. It's like, I'm like, hello? Hello? Every day. (laughs) It's so good. Okay, Chris, thank you. We'd love to have you back if you want to. We just, we think you're a treasure and just such a gift uh, to us personally uh, and for the bad kids in the back. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, but you are just a gift to the church. I'm so glad that you choose daily to fight that good fight of faith. Amen. Well, I love you guys and we'll be back. Guys, go check out How Did I Get Here? Finding Your Way Back to God When Everything Is Pulling You Away. Follow Christine everywhere. Just look up her name, Christine Kane. Uh, she's posting really encouraging stuff on Instagram as well. And you can find her on Propel Women to get that encouraging email that I mentioned. And go live and spread the good news of the gospel in a world desperate and hungry for it. Thank you again to Christine Kane. And for all of us here at the Hole in My Heart podcast, we will see you next week.